Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to today's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. We've got a super exciting guest today. The bio that we could read off for him could go on for days, so we're going to keep it pretty short. But we've got Scott Lease, who's six-time sales leader, five-time exeter, three-time founder, three-time author, sales consultant, strategic advisor, angel investor, community builder, uh, runs an awesome community and event called Surf and Sales. He's been named a Salesforce top sales influencer. He's got a couple recent books this year talking about how do you go from rep to manager, more than a number, the modern VP sales playbook, and just has a, a super cool perspective after I got introduced to him from another podcast guest, Nikki Ivy, who he hired early on in her sales career. So I just cannot wait for our community to learn from the experience of Scott as he has his hand in so many different startups, helping them grow and scale really from zero to 25 million in revenue is his sweet spot, coaching different reps, so much wisdom that we're going to get from Scott today. So Scott, thank you for joining on the show. Man, that's a hell of an introduction. Thank you very much for having me. You've been kicking ass and taking names. So I'm excited to have you on. And I read a little bit about your journey into sales and how you got started. And I always love to ask folks, What's been that arc of your career into sales and what have been some impactful moments that have really changed the way that you see the world and see the profession? Well, you know, I fell and stumbled and crawled into sales like so many other people. Uh, I've talked about it many times and I, I wrote about my journey a little bit, but when I was 23 years old, I I got super, super sick and I spent the next four years in the hospital uh, fighting for my life and had a bunch of surgeries and got addicted to opioids and had to kick off of drugs in the process. So I didn't really get started in my career until I was 27 years old. Uh, <clears throat> so that that's like the brief story of how I got in. And then, you know, in terms of the milestones, it's like I decided to pick an early stage startup on purpose because I felt like I had the best opportunity to move up the ranks, you know, and, and get out of being like a frontline worker. Uh, I realized pretty soon after becoming number one as, as a seller that I really thought that I'd get more fulfillment and joy out of helping other people close deals rather than closing them myself. So I quickly kind of went on a sales leadership track. Um, and then I just started betting on myself. And what I mean by that is I started taking big risks. I'd, I'd get a company to a certain level and then I'd, I'd leave and go do it again. Uh, and I, you know, kept being VP of sales here and be there for two to three years, get it to $20 million. I'd kind of get bored and burnt out and be like, I, I gotta do something new. And then I'd go, you know, do it again. And, and I just created this niche for myself where I sort of became, you know, one of, the people that you know might be on a short list um, in terms of sales leaders who are really good and specialize in this getting people getting companies off the ground kind of stage this zero to twenty five million kind of kind of sprint um, and you know a, along the way I, I started 
dabbling in consulting and and coaching. And then I launched my surf and sales business and then I launched Thursday night sales. And, you know, I've just kind of slowly expanded and I finally went out on my own, um, in, uh, October of actually two years ago to, tomorrow where we're it's September. I don't know when this is going to come out, but it's September 30th right now. And my two year solopreneur anniversary is tomorrow. I just realized. So, um, yeah, that's so that's kind of you know how I got in and and how I've how I've thought about it and how I've how the arc has kind of gone as you put it. I love that, and as you maybe haven't reflected much on it, but what have you had to change, or what's what's been different for you going from inside of organization growing startups to now almost two years as a solopreneur? What have you had to change? How have you had to think or operate differently? You know, I think uh, the typical answer that you get from people and the one that everybody wants to hear is how hard it is and, you know, how much different you have to think and do all this other stuff. And I mean, frankly, this is a joke by comparison to being an early VP of sales at a, at a startup. It's so much easier. It's so much less stressful. It's so much more lucrative. Um, so what have I had to change? I mean, the biggest just adjustment to me has just been not being a part of a team um, and kind of, you know, being isolated and, and alone. And, you know, you, you got ideas like, who do you share them with? Uh, you close a big deal. What do I do? High five my dog. Like, you know, it's a little bit, little bit different kind of, kind of vibe. So, you know, that, that's been a challenge. Um, obviously everybody has gone through similar challenges with the, the pandemic, but that's an adjustment. You know, when I've been, I played sports my whole life, you know, I played two sports in college. Like I've been on a team since I was probably about five years old. So that part has been an adjustment. Um, and I don't mean in terms of like, Oh, wow, I have more work to do, or, you know, I got to learn all these new skills. No, it's just more of like, you're alone, you're isolated, you win, you lose all alone, you, you know, um, and that, that part gets, you know, a little taxing at, at times, but, uh, you know, you have a good support system around you. And one of the reasons to build community and, and have a good network. And, you know, I take advantage of that and lean on them quite a bit. That's really interesting. I, I think I hear so many similarities through the, the pandemic through people moving to remote work that, yeah, we're kind of on our own and totally isolated when you, you really have no team aside from yourself. Although the dog probably would like to high five. Uh, they, they, they would never be opposed to it. I'm sure. And yeah. I, I love talking to athletes. I find that there are so many athletes that do transition into sales. I think I saw it was soccer. And what was the other sport you played? Ten, I played soccer and tennis in college for four years. Yeah. So, one, a team sport. Now, I consider tennis more of an individual sport. I've been playing a lot of golf lately, and I played baseball my whole life. And I was like, all right, team, I get it. Golf has been this total shift for me as I'm the only one. What have you taken from your sports career? What learnings did you have there that you think helped you in sales? Oh, man. You know, um, learning to deal with failure, number one, right? Um, you, know, you talk about playing tennis, like, Every mistake you make is on display for everybody watching to see every single time. 
And they're also watching your attitude after you make all those mistakes. So, you know, when you get angry or get upset and pout or whatever, your opponent looks over there and is like, oh, I got you. I got this guy. This guy's a mess right now. Right. So, you you know, you try to learn to hide those kind of emotions a little bit and not get too high when things are going great and not get too low when things are going bad. I think that's very helpful. Um, Obviously the competitiveness portion, you know, I mean, I just, I can't stand losing. I I really want to win. The teamwork, inner kind of inner team dynamics and communication and leadership skills that you pick up along the way, you know, I think uh, have transferred over. Um, Discipline and hard work. I mean, you think about how many hours you logged practicing or, you know, putting in extra time before or after your regular practice or games um, just to perform better, you know, under the lights Um, and that work ethic. You know, some people don't have that work ethic. You don't have to go through athletic career to develop that work ethic. But I think it's a it's a kind of a shortcut that a lot of athletes took in, the, in making the transition to sales. So, you know, some of those things are pretty obvious. I think pretty uniform for people who played sports in particular sports at a high level. Definitely at that collegiate level where you are focused, you are all in for, for many cases uh, and across two sports, the collegiate level is stressful. I'm curious how, how do you manage your own stress? What, what do you do to help yourself stay? You know, I, I heard kind of more level-headed uh, through the ups and downs uh, that come with growing startups, especially running your own business. How, how do you maintain some of that mental health? Yeah, I mean, finding people to talk to, you know, whether the, these are friends and family members or or therapists or whatever, um, just being able to find a safe space and, and, a, and a community of folks to talk to about the things that you're dealing with and, and going through. Um, you know, exercise has always been a big part of my, of my life. When I, when I lived in the Bay area, you know, we'd get off work and we'd just go to the beach and we'd just go surf, you know, three, four times a week. And it's really hard to be stressed out about work when there's like a eight foot, you know, wave from San Francisco where the water temperature is like 61 degrees at best, 55 degrees, maybe at worst you're freezing. It's kind of hard to be like, Oh, why didn't that fucking deal close? You know, you're like in the moment and that cold water is kind of washing all that stress off. Um, and you know, the, the normal stuff people do, I think just like getting outside and trying to travel and spend some time with friends. And, you know, I, read a little bit and I like to escape into dumb movies and TV shows now and then and sip a cocktail or two on my porch and, you know, just kind of unwind a little bit. But most of my life I've been, I've just been super competitive and, and super driven and, you know, borderline kind of workaholic. So my tolerance for stress is a lot higher, I think, than other people. And without it, I actually feel a little bit lost. 
it's one of the thing, things athletes talk about sometimes when they retire is like, well, now what? Like, where am I supposed to get this like dopamine hit from competing? You know, it's like I'm selling every day or every month, you know, and I get to feel like a million bucks if I, if I did well and I get to feel like dirt if I lost. Like, that's addicting, you know, be, having that forum. And when you don't have that forum anymore, for somebody like myself, I just kind of look around and I'm like, well, what, what am I supposed to do? Just like exist? Like that's, <laughs> that sounds boring, you know? So <laughs> that's, it's pretty funny. And I think there is so much of that uh, is so much of our lives are defined by work and the actions that we do or professional athletes like that. That's what they've done to your point. Like I was on a team since I was five. A lot of these guys that make it to the professional level, have done that from, you know, zero to 30, 35, maybe some crazy people like Tom Brady into their forties. Right. And yeah. it's like, well, what do you have after that? And, and how do you redefine yourself? That is a really interesting thought. You mentioned, you know, going surfing uh, in San Francisco after work, and you talk about this surf and sales event and, and business that you have. Talk to us a little bit about the event and why do you look to combine those things? I just think you just hit on some of it, but I, I'd be curious to hear. Well, I think, <clears throat> I think the the why combine it is is pretty obvious. I mean, I think people would love to find a way to make money while doing something that they love, right? So I figured out a way to go on international surf trips and get paid for it, where I also get to talk about sales and and, and leadership and business, which is like the two things I'm most passionate about. It's like sports and and sales, really, right? So. Um, you know, it was back in 2017 when I had the idea, um, you know, multiple years before the pandemic. And it was like, you know, cool to be like a micro community and and hold events outside and that kind of shit. Like we did that in 2017. And the whole movement <clears throat> was to get away from this big bloated conference environment um, which often feels stale and superficial and just kind of a whirlwind, right? I mean, there's people coming back from conferences these days that six, 7,000 people, 20,000 people at them. They get on a plane and come home and they're exhausted. They didn't, they don't really remember much of what they learned. They met some cool people, maybe made some superficial relationships. And I'm just not built that way. That kind of schmooze fest is the opposite of how I want to spend my days. So I'm like, well, why don't we go super small? Why don't we limit the to 20? Why don't we not go to San Francisco or St. Louis and, you know, some boring place that we've all been a hundred times. Why don't we go down to Costa Rica and I'll teach people how to surf. I'll hire local surf instructors and we'll have people come, come cook local meals for us and, and clean up after us. And, you know, it's kind of an all-inclusive thing. Once you get there, you don't spend a dime, all the drinks and all, all the food that you want. And then from like nine to three every day, we'll have these working sessions. So we'll go surf in the morning, eat some breakfast. You know, we'll talk about different things around business and sales and leadership and then break for lunch and, you know, do the same thing in the afternoon and then go surf in the afternoon and then hang out. And it's much more of an experiential kind of learning opportunity. And people go home. It's like, well, you got 20 new friends now, 
20 new people in your network that are like super tight. You've spent a week with them. Um, and yeah, we've been running a couple events a year, you know, ever since. And, uh, we've got a couple coming up in November, uh, this year. And, and I'm sure we'll have a couple in March, April, and then again in the fall, uh, in 2022. So. That's great. We'll definitely have to link off to uh, the surf and sales, uh, summit, I think for folks, uh, so yeah. they can check that out if they got some interest because, it sounds great. You know, I, I hear so much that resonates with, yeah, I've done the big conferences and you are just overwhelmed of the like nonstop, here's my business card and stuff where it's like, you can't actually get an authentic deep yeah. connection and deep learning or anything on a personal level. So I, I love, love, love hearing about that. As you've done a lot of work across scaling companies of moving from Revenue, no revenue, pre-revenue to, you know, 20 plus million in revenue. What do you see most folks getting wrong from the sales side of things in those organizations? Well, they don't, they don't put together a, a, a scalable sales process. Oh, you, you end up with a couple people, you know, who are, who are all doing things their own way. And it becomes really hard to figure out what works, what doesn't work. How do we teach and coach everybody? How do we bring in new people and onboard them the right way? Um, and so people are just kind of winging it, basically. And you can wing your way to a couple million dollars of revenue. Don't, don't get me wrong. You, you can do that. You can't really wing it to go from 2 to 25 million and from 25 million to 100 million ARR. You can't wing it. You got to have a process, right? You work at HubSpot. I've done enough work with HubSpot folks to know there's a process. You're supposed to pitch this particular way. You're supposed to demo this particular way, right? All that stuff has been put in place because they know that's what works. And so they're optimizing for it. Um, and too many startups, you know, don't, put that kind of structure in place soon enough. So that's, that's one big uh, takeaway, you know, that, that I could share. And I, another big takeaway would be they just hire the wrong kind of people. You know, I see startups over-optimize for industry expertise all the time. So let's say there's a, let's say you and I are, are, are working at a, I don't know, commercial real estate software company, okay? Some founders will hire people who are ex-commercial realtors because they have industry expertise as opposed to hiring somebody who has software sales experience who needs to learn about the industry. It is so much easier to teach somebody the nuances and ins and outs of an industry than it is to teach them how to sell software. So people fuck that up all the time. And then on the VP level, a lot of early stage companies get enamored with, you know, some big fancy title and company name. It's like, oh, Jordan was, you know, a VP at Oracle for five years and a VP at IBM for three years. We're lucky to have him. So they bring him into this early stage startup and they don't realize that they just hired a VP of spreadsheets who just wants to, you know, fuss around in Excel and look at Salesforce reports all day and, 
and make decisions based on that when you really need to be hiring like a VP of sales who's willing to get in the ditch and pick up a shovel and carve out the path, right? And build pipeline, close deals, show the early reps what to do, coach them all the time, in addition to building structure and, and putting process in place. So those are the two big things. It's just like no real sales playbook. And they're just winging it. And they hire the wrong types of people on a leadership and a individual contributor side of things. Yeah, it's really interesting as you talk about that, as I've seen us evolve at HubSpot from, you know, a couple hundred people to now many thousands and how even when we were a couple hundred people, it was the biggest company I'd ever worked for being in startups and seeing how we evolve more process, more systems that need to happen as you scale to be able to have predictable revenue to have the right type of growth that you need. And so I think it's, it's really interesting hearing you talk about that. And I'm also curious, especially with, uh, as we talked before, this trilogy of books that you've come out with, what if folks get wrong about that rep to manager move, the manager to director, VP, what do you see folks really struggling with as they move through that career journey in their own evolution? Well, I, th- <clears throat> I think a lot of people just try to go down that path Um, because they don't know what else to do and they just want to earn more money. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with staying an individual contributor your whole career and, and moving up market or finding bigger companies that might pay more different roles and stuff like that. So, you know, some of the stuff I write about in, in the books is like cautionary tales of people who went into leadership whiffed, and ended up back. And it's like, do you really want to do this? Like, here's the good, bad, and ugly of being in a sales leadership position. So I try to be real transparent with all that, that kind of stuff. Um, and just make sure people have all the information they should have before they say yes to this particular trajectory and, uh, and career path, you know? Um, and when you, when you go from rep to manager, you know, you have to get good at, you have to have a process and you have to get good at coaching people to that process and things that have come naturally or feel easy to you are not necessarily that way with everybody you're working with. So you have to summon this like superhuman amount of patience and and find ways to simplify things even more than you think you have to simplify them in order to teach somebody and work with them until, you know, it finally clicks. And then sure enough, after it's clicked, something happens in this person's life and they lose their momentum and their performance goes down. And now I got to rebuild them from scratch. Right. And that, that up and down and, and having your income and performance tied up in how somebody else is doing and their well-being is difficult. Uh, you know, to wrap your head around. So you, you really have to, I think, just get more joy and fulfillment from me coaching Jordan to close a deal than me closing a deal on my own. And, you know, when you go from manager to VP of sales, you're now the one who's building all this process out and 
figuring out the messaging and defining the ideal customer profile and doing the recruiting. So you go from just like somebody who's executing the playbook to somebody who's creating and designing the playbook. So that requires a lot more kind of strategic vision and uh, it's a lot riskier, you know, as, as well as if, if it doesn't work, guess where the ax is coming down, right? So a lot of responsibility on that one, but you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, so I, I, I like hearing that. And then I saw that you spent some time uh, with a graduate degree going for in, instructional design, maybe uh, oh, man, as a whole. Yeah. How, how does that come out to how you help teach people or how you help coach and lead teams or different individuals? Yeah. It's funny because, you know, I, <clears throat> I played two sports in college, like I said, and, and uh, I had no mind for business whatsoever. I, I think I only had to take one course in my whole four years in school. Um, and it was like a basic economics course or something like that. And I, I, I didn't learn shit. And I think I got like a C in it. And uh, <clears throat> but what I studied was psychology and religion. So I had a psychology degree and a uh, religious studies minor. And, and the dean of the psychology university, she was all over me to, to go and try to be a therapist. She was like, you're, you're, you have a gift for this. You're like good at listening to people and suggesting solutions without like totally telling people what to do. And, you know, um, it's a good way to help people and you can earn pretty good living and everything. And in my mind, I was like, I don't want to fucking listen to people's problems all day long. This sounds horrible. I don't want to do that. I just was studying this stuff because it was interesting. So I graduate and like, oh, you're supposed to go get a job now. And I'm like, I really, I don't really want to, <laughs> I don't want to work right now. Like I still want to play soccer. So, you know, like, what do I, what do I do? That's res respectable. Like, oh, you go to grad school. So I went to grad school because I'm like, I don't want to work, but I don't want to look like a bum who's doing nothing either. So there was this program at Arizona state and my dad had got a, his PhD from Arizona state years before so there was like a family lineage there a little bit. Um, there was this program called learning and instructional technology. And it was, you, you study like learning theory and then it's talking about like course design and corporate training and like how to design training programs and things like that. Um, and my dad is a professor. So it's like, okay, well, let me learn more about how people learn and let me learn how to teach people and like, Maybe I'll be a teacher or maybe I'll, you know, be a coach. Um, maybe I'll be a corporate trainer. So that was, I was like thinking about all those kind of things. Right. But then uh, as soon as I get my master's degree, I get sick. And like I said before, I have four years go by while I'm in the hospital. I forget everything. In my mind, I forget everything. Like I don't have a degree anymore. So I got to start from scratch. And so you know, I pick sales because it's like the only thing I can think of where I can make as much money as possible and my performance dictates my income and I could advance my career faster, right? And I could get that competitive kind of rush, right? Um, so to, to say that, you know, 
my master's program really in, in any serious way, like has impacted my work life and, and leadership style. I'm sure some of the stuff has, has bled in, but it's not, it's not even conscious, frankly. Yeah. It's, it's a, what a cool story. And just the, the wild ride that life takes us on is so fascinating. And I think having this background around psychology, around religion, around, you know, some of the instructional learning design, I just find it so fascinating thinking about how do humans learn and that most of our education traditionally is not helping us learn how to learn, but what to learn. Yeah. And I think that's what I've seen in a lot of sales as well as we say, okay, great. Here's the thing. Here's the process, do it. But there's not much why, or well, help me understand, like, how did you get there versus just, oh yeah, I'm, I heard this trigger. I'm supposed to ask this question. And I, I find that's where a lot of reps and, and leaders really struggle as they move. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, I totally agree with you. I actually think that's a brilliant quote. I'm trying to recite it in my head over and over, which is, you know, we sort of, I think you said we spend too much time thinking about what to learn versus how to learn. Um, I think that's a really great soundbite. So you should make sure you use that uh, for your own purposes, for your own purposes before I try to steal it. Um, Yeah, I I totally agree. And, you know, becoming self-aware enough to understand how you learn and what works for you, I think is super important. Like my auditory processing sucks. So fun fact, even though I have my own podcasts and I've recorded 275 episodes in the last year and a half, um, I'm not a podcast listener because I can't focus and absorb the information. Uh, yeah, I don't do audiobooks for the same reason. Maybe I'm old, I'm old school, whatever, like, I got to hold the paperback thing in my hands. I got to reread passages three, four times before I understand what the fuck I just read. So I know that about myself. I'm much more of a physical or visual learner than I am an auditory learner, but not everybody's like that. So one thing that I, I did do well is I would build my onboarding and training program in sales And I would be testing people through lots of different mediums to test the learning. So we'd have, I literally would build written exams on the material. We'd have a presentation kind of exam. We'd have auditory sort of role play, spoken word kind of things. And it's like, okay, you can deliver the pitch to me verbally. Can you write it out? Can you write out the objection? Here's the objection. Write it out in an email and send it to me. Right? So you just, I'm testing all these different ways. And, you know, the the deeper understanding you have about a a piece of material, you can perform in all the different ways that's asked of you. Right? Um, So that's one thing that I think I did apply to how I've run training and, and designed it. Uh, you're nail on the head. I, I'm pretty similar. I, I listen to podcasts, but I realize I don't retain as much. I, I try. I hear all these people. Oh, I got through 150 books this year, and it's like, oh well, most of those were audio books on like two and a half times yeah. speed. Yeah, and you didn't. You didn't remember shit. 
No, there's, you know, maybe you get one nugget. And I believe yeah. some of this stuff sticks in the brain, but is it something you can actually hold on to? And so for me, I'm like, I, I read on a Kindle, but I, I love this app that I found called Readwise that like pulls out my different highlights for retention because, you know, the the memory retention curve drops off so fastly, uh, so quickly from when somebody hears something new, if you're not repeating it, just like I, I like hearing you say like, oh, I heard that quote, I'm repeating it in my head because that's how we build those neural networks and pathways that allow us to go back to it. And so having that self-awareness, I, I think is critical. Did you do anything in particular to build that self-awareness for yourself or, or to bring more awareness to it? Well, listen, you know, being near death for four years, laying in a hospital bed you got a lot of time to do nothing but think and ponder everything including things you don't want to think about um so that that changed me in a very very meaningful way and you don't emerge from something like that um without a different sense of appreciation for kind of every opportunity that we have and a different sense of urgency than other people to get shit done. Um, and, and I think it made me very hyper aware of strengths and weaknesses of mine. And it made me unafraid of the weaknesses and unafraid of the failure because I was, my mindset has just always been, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? What are you gonna do? Fire me? <laughs> Whatever. I've been near dead God knows how many times, right? I'm healthy. I've already been through the hardest thing I'll probably ever go through in my whole entire life, knock on wood. So you think building a pipeline is hard? You think finding a new job is hard? You think building this forecast is hard? Get the fuck out of here. Like, so I, that perspective has been super, super helpful for me, you know? Um, and I, I, I always try to tell people, you know, everybody's life is different, but I promise you, you have been through something in your life that was hell or it's hell. And I promise you, it's a lot harder than hitting your damn quota. So the things we worry about, not that they're not important, but they just pale in comparison to really serious stuff. Um, and so, you know, you, you're self-aware of the things that you suck at, but you're also kind of more unafraid of them, if that makes sense. That's fantastic. One of the questions I've thought on for a while is I've seen so many people that have evolved their mindset to that point, like you have, that had to go through that really negative experience to get there. And so many people that don't research the tools, don't find the the practices that can help them when the shitty times come up in their life because they're not open to it because they're just kind of going with the status quo. And so hearing your process and being able to then take that to others and say, you've gone through tough things. You've made it through that. Yeah. It's a pipeline. It's one deal. It's one month. It's one quarter because, you know, one of the questions you already answered it for me that I talked to folks about is like how you bounce back from that tough month or quarter or whatever it might be. And it's like, take a step back and look yeah. at the other things you've gotten through in your life are so huge. So I, I love that you're already knocking out some of the questions that I have uh, within the answers already. So that this is why you're such a wizard uh, in the space. So what it, 
like, what does a daily routine look like for you? You mentioned, you know, exercise, some of these pieces, like what do, what do you do to keep yourself playing your best game? Yeah. So this is another thing that I, that I'm more of a contrarian on. <laughs> I don't really have a routine. I really don't like, uh, you know, there's certain days of the week that I've got to get up earlier because it's my, it's my day of the week to get my kids ready for school and get my son off to practice cross country practice in the morning and, and that kind of thing. But, um, I'm not this like 5am gym guy. I don't have my time blocked off in my calendar all over the place to, you know, prospect this follow up this. I had to do all of those things at different stages of my career. You know, when I was a sales rep, that was super important. When I was a sales leader, that became even more important because my time is stretched so, so thin and I've got to become ruthlessly efficient. I don't have to do my, my mindset is I don't have to do that shit anymore. My mindset is I got so good at that and I'm blessed to be in a, <clears throat> in a financial position and a, you know, in, a, in my own role with the different companies that I, uh, that I run that I can make my own schedule, you know? So I really don't work much on Mondays or Fridays. I try to cram Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with a lot of stuff. Um, but that's about it, man. I'm, if it's anybody out there is looking for advice, it's like, yeah, I told you, you had to get up at 4 a.m. and, you know, do this and do that all the time. Nah, no, you don't. It's awesome hearing our, our own operating system. And as you've seen yourself evolve in different roles and how, how we work through it. And again, bringing awareness to it. A couple rapid fire questions for us to wrap up here. Sure. What's one of your favorite hiring questions to ask people? Uh, what's the hardest thing you've ever been through and, and how did you get through it? Whoa. I'd love that. And uh, people's, resp people's response to that, by the way, is, well, you mean like personally or professionally? And I say, whatever you feel comfortable talking about. Either way. This is great. Uh, I was going to ask you before you already answered it, but I I'll see how you phrase it this time. Do you love winning or dislike losing more? Oh, definitely dislike losing more than anything. I I'm, I'm going to Vegas in a couple of weeks. Uh, my, my Thursday night sales, um, community, um, <clears throat> is holding a live event in Las Vegas and, and everybody's like, Oh yeah, I can't wait to go gamble. Do, you know, do all this. You know, what are you, what are you going to do, Scott? Do you play blackjack? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't really gamble. And they're like, well, what, what are you talking about? I'm like the thought of losing money, not just losing, but losing money because I bet on like the wrong thing. Like I can't, I can't do that. I just get too angry. I get, I get too frustrated, you know, and, and depending on the game you play, like the loss is so quick and instant is like, you don't even know what happened. Uh, so if I am going to bet on something and lose, like I'll bet on sports where I feel like I know a little bit and at least the agony of the loss, I get to enjoy for like three hours. Right. Rather than like three seconds, like, Oh, your hand is done. You lost Scott. Like, no, if I'm going to suffer, it might as well be for longer. Get a little bit more value out of that. Out of yeah. that. I, 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 I definitely hate losing more than 
than winning. That's great. Uh, what are one or two qualities that you love the most in leaders that you've worked with or try to emulate? Uh, transparency, number one. And uh, just, I would kind of frame it as over-communication. <clears throat> like, I, you know, I, I want to know and understand why things are being done the way they are and certain decisions. And, you know, the, the leaders that I've had that I've got along best with are the ones that, you know, I think tried to impart some of that information and knowledge, you know, on down uh, to me. Great. Last two for you. Being a sports guy, any favorite coaches or coaching philosophies that, that you really look up to or bring into the sales leadership realm? Well, you know, when I, when I first got into sales leadership, rather than reading sales management books, I read like five John Wooden books. John Wooden is a old basketball coach of UCLA during the 60s and 70s. And, um, you know, he won like 11 championships in a row, which is just insane to think about. Um, so I read a bunch of that stuff. And then that moved into reading, you know, Phil Jackson books. And I read... Uh, Mike Babcock, which is a Detroit Red Wings hockey coach book and soccer coaches books and, you know, these kind of things. Like I'm not the type of salesperson or sales leader that's just like ripping through business books and industry jargon. Like that's not my thing. Right. Um, so I would read these things in the periphery that were more interesting to me and then think, how can I apply this to what I'm doing? So that's awesome. Uh, I got, I got one that I'll ask you about later. And the last question I love to ask folks here, what does success mean to you today? Ooh. I'll give you the stereotypical answer that people will give you, which is just like, you know, health, happiness, freedom, flexibility, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the, the, the practical numerical answer that most people are probably afraid to talk about or admit, is, you know, I, I don't get much of a, a dopamine hit if I don't cross 100,000 a month in income. So less than 100,000 to me feels like a loss. If, if I have like a 12 game season and each month is a season. So a hundred, hundred thousand is kind of where I'm at right now. Um, what that number will be in 2022. I'm not exactly sure yet, but I know myself and it will certainly be a little bit more. So. That's awesome. I love that. And I think it, again, taps back to this self-awareness, this understanding of yourself, where you're at, what's meaningful to you and where you want to go and knowing that you want to push yourself a little bit further. I love that, Scott. So last part, where can our listeners find and follow you? We're going to have a lot of links to send them off to, but where are the yeah. best places to find you? Well, you can find me every Thursday night, which coincidentally today is Thursday, I think. Um, you can find me every Thursday night, thursdaynightsales.com. My partner, Amy Volas and I, answer questions from 150 people or more uh, every single Thursday around the world. Uh, it's the world's largest virtual sales happy hour. And uh, you can 
check out my advisory and consulting work at scottleesconsulting.com. And you can check out Surf and Sales as well as the Surf and Sales podcast at surfandsales.com. And if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, you can always find me on LinkedIn where I'm very active as well. Scott Lees, thank you so much. There are so many, so many knowledge bombs and pieces of wisdom in here for folks as they grow through their sales career. I cannot thank you enough. Let's go make it a great day. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks. Thanks.